morning, everybody. Uh, welcome to Football Digest Extra Time. Uh, I am Adam Newson, the Chelsea correspondent for Football London, um, and I'm here with Gideon Brooks, who is the Manchester football writer for The Express. Um, we are here to talk about the Champions League final, of course. Um, both myself and Gideon were there, uh, very fortunate to be there. Um, so, that you know, it was a, a victory for Chelsea, a 1 0 win, courtesy of Kai Havertz first half goal um, a huge win for Chelsea uh, second Champions League that they have claimed obviously huge disappointment for for Manchester City and Pep Guardiola um, this is you know a trophy that the, the sort of city ownership have cover, coveted for, for a long time now and it hasn't yet happened but um, let's dive straight in and, and firstly I think we should probably talk about the fans Gideon I mean we were both there um, it was my first ever Champions League final so um, I'll, I'll leave this question to you was it like uh, a Champions League final of old in terms of the atmosphere, even though the stadium was only at sort of twenty five percent capacity? Yeah, it was. Um, I thought the atmosphere was fantastic, but it was in in many ways it was a sort of pared down Champions League final. I've, I've been lucky enough to do two. I did Kiev um, for Liverpool and Real Madrid, and then uh, Madrid last year for uh, sorry, t- yes, last year for um, uh, the uh, Liverpool Spurs game, but. Mm. Um, so you know, there's sixteen and a half thousand fans, and it was it was stripped down. It was the the you know the whereas they had pre-match shows before, and and they had Dua Lipa sung um, in Kiev. Um, we had just the sort of Champions League anthem and some fireworks this time, um, but it was no less um, vibrant for it. I thought in in some ways, I thought the. the the lack of fans in there made it noisier. I don't know whether the acoustics changed or something, but I, I thought the, t- the atmosphere was terrific, and and also the maybe having been starved of of live experience for mm. so long, maybe I think that that energised everybody in the in the whole stadium. Was there an element do you think as well? And we were we were talking just about this off camera that because of how difficult it was to get out to, to Porto and and the sort of restrictions you had to go through did it mean that maybe it was just the sort of very much the diehards who were in attendance in terms of both City and Chelsea yeah possibly I I mean we were yeah we were talking about the the, the hoops you had to jump through and it's first world problems for a lot of people who would have loved to have given the right arm to be there mm. but it was a nightmare getting in and out and um the, the testing and then you know add, added to the flights but um yeah I think that people were determined to enjoy the a final when they got there, um, having jumped through so many hoops. So, yeah. Obviously, as we we mentioned at the top, you know, it was a Chelsea 1-0 win. That is the, the 17th uh, trophy Chelsea have now collected in the Roman Abramovich era. Um, as, a, as a sort of Chelsea correspondent, I mean, all sort of modern convention is you need stability, you need to have a, a long-term vision to work towards a coach in situ for, for, to build around. Chelsea don't do any of that. They're very much, uh, they break the norm. Um, but it does seem to, to, to work for them um, every season, really. They do seem to pick up some kind of silverware. So what's it looking uh, sort of more from the outside in, I guess, as a Manchester-based writer? What do you make of sort of the Abramovich model and, and whether or not it is just going to continue rolling on and, and delivering success for Chelsea? It's interesting, isn't it? I mean, they sort of ripped the rule book up, really. It's, uh, and they used to call it creative tension, didn't they? Um, where, <laughs> yes. where everybody's always on on the toes. It's, I think, it was, I was looking back, it's astonishing. In 18 seasons, 17 titles, and you compare it to Ferguson, and the, the, the absolute opposite end of the spectrum There's mm. in, in terms of stability. In 27 years, 
27 titles, but it's almost comparable to that. So the, it's it's interesting. I don't think Abramovich is going to change his model um, at any anytime soon because it, it works, doesn't it? Five Premier League titles, five FA Cups, three League Cups, two Champions League, two, two Europa League. It, it's an astonishing haul considering the lack of stability in both, per, well, in, in personnel, in, in certainly in the dugout. It's, it's, mm. it's amazing, amazing performance. But I don't know. I mean, uh, it's Tuchel was talking in the aftermath that he wants to stick around and he wants a long-term deal and, and he, he might get a long-term deal, but whether he gets to see it out <laughs> is another, <laughs> another question because he seems to operate on on three-year three year policy, doesn't he? Yeah. It's, I mean, I, yeah. From, from my perspective, I think that Chelsea have got Thomas Tuchel at a very, very good time. Um, he's had differing experiences at Mainz and Borussia Dortmund and Paris Saint-Germain and I think he's been very well-rounded by all those experiences and, and Chelsea have now got probably the best version of him and he is delivering big trophies, you know, as we mentioned, and he's delivering big results over over the sort of elite coaches. You know, in his time at Chelsea, he's beaten Jurgen Klopp, he's beaten Jose Mourinho, he's beaten Diego Simeone, Zidane, Pep Guardiola three times. I mean, everything points towards him being an excellent long-term coach for Chelsea. But I think we all know the reality of the situation is, you know, even though if he's given a two, three-year deal now and and the expectation is he will be in, and Chelsea will do that, if things start to, to go a little bit wrong in sort of a year's time, there's no guarantee that, that Chelsea won't pull the trigger once more. So mm. we will see, have to see. I, I don't think Chelsea are going to change their model by any stretch. So um, so it's all on Tuchel. And I think he knows that, to be fair. He's always spoken very well about the pressure, which is why he uh, he had no issue signing an 18-month contract because, as he said, it doesn't matter if I sign a three-year deal because if I'm doing badly, they'll sack me anyway. So yeah, Matters um, to his bank balance, I would think. Yes, yes. Well, I was... Uh, <laughs> He could go down the Jose Mourinho route of earning, what is it, 70-odd million from just being sacked from different yeah. jobs. So, um, I think nice a lot work. of... The... Nice work if you can get it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, definitely. Uh, I, I think before the final, there was a lot of talk about, is Guardiola going to overthink this? Is he going to try something a bit different? And I thought, the, the sort of, or from, from my perspective, I thought the feeling was, you know what, Peps has, has stopped doing that now. He's worked out what his best City team is. The likelihood is it isn't going to have one with a, with a sort of, regular striker or anything like that. It is going to be sort of De Bruyne as a nine and, and sort of the midfielders behind him. But he obviously did throw that curveball in of not picking up Fernandinho or Rodri. Was that a big mistake? And and is he ever going to just be able to to not go into a big game and try and overcomplicate a certain sort of tactical framework? Uh, was it a big mistake? Yes. Did I think it was going to happen? No, because uh, the one thing that I, th- I felt in the build-up to this was that Guardiola was relaxed and he'd, he'd worked out what his best City side was. He'd worked out that that just letting them do what they do in the Premier League was the way forward. It, it, there was a really interesting uh, insight from De Bruyne on the eve of the match. And he said that because of the the sheer number of games this season and the sort of rat-a-tat nature, the, the, there were fewer meetings, there was fewer technical, um, there was fewer t- sort of technical work that mm. they'd done. The Guardiola had basically just let them breathe. He'd, he'd eased off them, and and the players had had, had sort of benefited from that. So I, I just didn't see that coming. But there was, a, you know, it's it's easy to say with hindsight that it was a mistake. Um, but there was there was genuine surprise in the in the press box from everybody before kickoff. You know, everyone mm. sort of said he, he's done it again. He's done it again, yeah. and it, it, it's not that's not the off that's not hindsight. People were genuinely saying that. 
there was Joey Barton, I think, tweeted something um, saying, you know, all these people piling into Guardiola, he's a, you know, just ease off, he's a genius. Well, I don't see that being a genius football manager, which I think he is, and making mistakes on, mm. on the biggest stage, they're not mutually exclusive. You can believe both things. And, yeah. and I, I, I genuinely think that Guardiola is an incredible man manager. He's an incredible charisma. Um, he, he's, he's done it at, you know, three of the biggest clubs in the world. And he, and he, and he carries these, these huge egos with him, but he's done it so many times in, you know, with city, you could just looking, I was just looking this morning, you know, some Monaco in the last 16, he put Fernandinho at left back and, and collar off centre back in 2018 against Liverpool. Laporte was left back admittedly for, I think for, um, reasons of injuries and stuff, but he went with um, Jesus instead of Aguero. In, nine, in 2019 at Spurs, he rested company and De Bruyne for the first leg and they lost it. Mm. And then last season, you know, he, he, he switched to a back three for the final just, and he hadn't done it. You know, this time, Fernandinho and Rodri, I mean, it's, there was only one game this season that he's not played either Fernandinho or Rodri and that was Olympiacos in the Champions League group that they were coasting anyway. So, yeah. I, I thought it was a massive blunder, and, and, I, and I thought it showed in the in the game as well. Early on, you saw that they surrendered the mid middle. They just surrendered the middle. Mason Mount was magnificent. I know we'll probably get onto that in a minute, but he, he bossed that 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 middle ground in the first half. He was superb. Mm. Was obviously what did Guardiola um, say as to as to the reason behind uh, why he he did it? And I mean, I was on the presser, and I mean, he 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 seemed content with his decision um, even after the game that, you know, it, it was a team that he picked to win it. But was there maybe a sense of him, I mean, just going back to the, the 2011 Champions League final when Barcelona just kept the ball away from, from Manchester mm. United for, for the whole game, was he just trying to maybe replicate that or was it? how did he sort of explain his reasoning behind it? Well, he didn't really. He, he just said he thought he'd pick the best side to win the game. Um, and he, <laughs> But in, interestingly, he thought they played a brilliant game as well, which... To my eyes, they didn't. Having seen them all season, I, you know, they were nowhere near um, the city that we'd we'd watched all season. Um, all the individual battles were lost, with the possible exception of Kyle Walker. But um, yeah, I, I, he didn't really explain it. But I mean, there was yeah. let's face it, he left himself with nowhere to go. He knew it was a mistake. I think. <laughs> I think that was probably as uh, as you say, the space in the midfield that was there was was best highlighted in the uh, in the Chelsea or what proved to be the the Chelsea winner through Kai Havertz. Um, it was a it was a sort of very nice little move down the down the uh, Man City right with with Chilwell knocking it into Mount and as soon as Mount turned, Havertz had an absolute ocean of space to run into and it was a huge moment for Kai Havertz because he's not had uh, an easy first season at Chelsea following his move from from Bayer Leverkusen. He obviously arrived for about seventy million. Um, I don't think. And this is my opinion more than hard, cold hard facts. I don't think Chelsea went into last summer anticipating to be able to sign Kai Havertz. It was very much a, an opportunity thing. And once they got him, I don't think they had a real idea of where they were going to put him, especially Frank Lampard. And he was crowbarred into to midfield early on. Um, then he got quite a bad, uh, bad bout of COVID-19, which sort of laid him up for a week in bed. And he never really got going under Lampard and Tuchel came in and then Havertz got an injury, which kept him out for a month. And, um, it's only in the last sort of two months, really, that we've started to see what Kai Havertz can do. And this was a big moment for him. He's a 21-year-old. He's scoring uh, the Champions League final winner. Um, 
the problem I think Chelsea are going to have with Havertz is we've seen now his best position is probably as a false nine or, or through that central position. And Chelsea are um, are intent on signing another striker, um, which I think is is probably what they need given the sort of the the, the sort of lack of uh, chances that they've taken this season. But it does beg a question again what Chelsea are going to do with all these attacking players they've got next year because Tuchel has found a system that really does work for Chelsea at the moment um, but he may have to rip that up and start again if they do go out and sign a, a number nine I'm just going to bring in a uh, question from Patrick um, in terms of who Chelsea would like to sign um, which isn't let me do it which is not ideal but uh, Patrick asks yeah who is uh, who is Chelsea trying to sign in the role of striker there we go um Originally, it was uh, it was going to be Erling Haaland they were going to try and go for, but I think the the practicalities of that and the money involved is not it's just not going to happen. It will cost Chelsea far too much. So um, the sort of prime targets at this point are very much Romelu Lukaku, um, who may or may not be able to prize his way out of Inter if he really really wants to. But I think it's going to cost Chelsea sort of the best part of eighty to ninety million to to get that done. And the other name is Harry Kane, which. Personally, I just don't see happening because I can't imagine Daniel Levy would rather sell Kane to any other club than Chelsea, to be completely honest. So unless Chelsea want to offer Tottenham a, a, a sort of offer they literally cannot refuse, um, I just don't see that one happening. So we shall see. We'll see. It's going to be a busy summer for Chelsea because there are a couple of other positions they want to strengthen too. So um, just back on the, on back on the final, of course, um, Tuchel and Guardiola, there was a lot made in the build-up uh, about their relationship and, you know, having dinners together in Munich and how both are football obsessives and um, probably arguably two of the, the best coaches, uh, you know, in, in the world right now. Um, is this going to be a, a great sort of rivalry in English football? Um, I suppose with a, a caveat that obviously, yeah, Tuchel is always on a knife edge at Chelsea. Um, yes, I think it is, isn't it? Nine games, four wins. Um, one draw, four losses, but but sort of crucially, the last three wins, he's got something on Guardiola, hasn't he? Because Guardiola's mm. trying to outthink him. He's trying to do things which which sort of surprise um, Tuchel. It, it was interesting, Tuchel said after that he was surprised that Fernandino wasn't in the side. Yeah. Um, I think I think Chelsea have got Tuchel at a really good time. He, he he came, I think, to Chelsea almost with a bit of a tag of a bit of a nearly man. Um, I mean, he'd won titles with PSG, but it failed in the final. And it, and just, but they've just got him. He's got a feel of Klopp about him now. When he first got to Liverpool, so that's slightly manic, that slightly nerdy sort of look to him, is sort of angular. Where you know where Klopp had his teeth and his glasses and. Um, <laughs> He's he's just sort of like this sort of manic stick insect on the foot. But but the, the, what they share is that they get fans. They they get they get a connection with fans. Um, it was interesting in twenty minutes before the end, Tuchel was using the fans to to g up mm. his exhausted players on on uh, in Porto. I, he, they're getting him at a really good time, and where where you know the, the the love for Guardiola is is unconditional in Manchester. But it, it, they they sort of with Klopp as well and it's going to be a fantastic season next season with all these these um, managers yeah I agree I think we are, are going to see a really really interesting title race because we suspect Liverpool will probably be back with a with a fit version of Van Dijk challenging and City will yeah. go again and Chelsea will strengthen and who knows me United might be able to, to make that little bit extra of a jump as, as well under Solskjaer so um, yeah it's going to be a very good title race I think 
I thought well, it was really fascinating in the build-up because, uh, and this, was, this video is going around Twitter quite a lot of Guardiola explaining exactly how Chelsea play um, and Tuchel's tactics about you know using the wing backs to make the pitch really wide, using Werner's pace behind to make the pitch really deep. He knew exactly how Chelsea were going to play, um, but he still wasn't able to, to, to sort of mastermind a way to break down that system. So, yeah, it'll be very interesting now when the next meeting between the two sides is um, next season uh, in the Premier League and uh, Tuchel will be hoping to continue his record because, um, yeah, three wins in, in three games in English football is, is pretty good going. Um the sort of another sort of comparison that was made in the build-up to the game was was Mason Mount and Phil Foden, uh, two young English players who are probably both going to have very big roles uh, at this summer's European Championships for, for Gareth Southgate's side. It was a it wasn't a, an easy night for Phil Foden, but he still showed flashes, and there was that one chance in the first half in particular where um were it not for Antonio Rudiger's excellent slide challenge to to block his shot, he he probably would have gotten the score sheet. Was there any disappointment? Um, Obviously, you can talk more about the Phil Foden side and I'll take the Mount side. Was there any disappointment on with, with Foden's display or, or is it just a, an acceptance that, you know, he is still a very young guy at the end of the day and this was his first Champions League final? I, th- I think, uh, I, didn't, I didn't think Foden played particularly well. I don't think he did anything particularly wrong, but he just didn't shine like he had done against Dortmund and, and PSG. Um some of the, I mean, Foden is a talent for the ages. Absolutely, no question about it. Um, and he, yeah, he didn't have the best. He didn't show that talent, but he still remains probably the most exciting player in in the Premier League. I think at the mm. moment, um, it's it's interesting with regard to Mount, who I don't see as much as you do, Adam. Um, but it's, it's about the only if if Tuchel's sort of success at Chelsea has, has diminished Frank Lampard's work <laughs> with the same set of players almost on a daily basis. You, you you sort of think, well, how bad a manager must Frank Lampard have been? Which is probably a bit unfair. The one th- one shining light in Frank Lampard's CV is is his love for Mount um, and how he took him to Derby and nurtured him. Um, yeah, I thought Mount was absolutely magnificent on on um, Saturday night. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and it's it bodes the the two of them it, it really bodes well for um, for England going forward albeit they play in similar similar position <laughs> but Mount's a little bit more versatile I suppose but um, yeah. I thought Chil- Chilwell and, and Mount were magnificent on on Saturday night yeah I think the thing with Mason Mount is he's he's reached a consistency level now which um, I think very few probably expected from him so soon I mean, he is every game really. Producing a moment or, or just producing a sort of 90-minute performance where he is one of Chelsea's stand-up players pretty much every week. I mean, it's interesting because there was a little bit of concern going into this game uh, among Chelsea supporters that Mason Mount looked a bit tired because he he's he played, I think he's ended up playing about 500 more minutes than any other Chelsea player this season, outfield player especially. Um, he has made the most appearances of any Chelsea player. And against Arsenal and um, against Aston Villa, he wasn't that effective and and people were genuinely worried that maybe he's a bit tired now because he has played so much, but he, he had a week's week's rest basically ahead of this game. And that's all he really seems to need. Um, Cause you say he was excellent. Um, once he again, young. He, he is young. Yes. He is well, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, he was excellent. Obviously he got the assist. And I think even his biggest detractors, which there are still, still some of even among the Chelsea fan base for reasons I don't quite understand. Um, he he produced again, and as you said, there there were so many good performances. And uh, we, I said before we got on here, you know, I watched the final back this morning, and yeah, to to a man, I think every Chelsea player really stepped up. And um, 
you know, Mount is very much Frank Lampard's biggest legacy, but so is Reese James. And I thought Reese James handled oh, really? Raheem Sterling very effectively. Um, in, in his pocket, in his yeah. pocket all night. But I thought, I thought James, Chilwell, um, Mount were all absolutely fantastic, which is, which again bodes well for England. Yes. And another man who is fantastic uh, on and off the pitch. And I'll just bring this question in from uh, Fearjurus Jamaluddin. Sorry if I had pronounced that wrong. Um, Kante for the Ballon d'Or. I mean, what else is there really left to say about N'Golo Kante at this stage? Um, he he won the Man of the Match award from UEFA um, on Saturday. He won the Man of the Match award from UEFA for both legs of the semi-final against Real Madrid. Uh, the amount of interceptions and tackles that he wins is is just incredible. Um, but he's so much more than that. He was you know breaking forward so often as well with the ball. Um, and it's uh, it's such a great story because it was only eight years ago that Kante was playing in the French third tier. He only signed his first pro deal at 22. Um, and, you know, in that since then, he's won the World Cup, the Premier League twice, the Europa League, the Champions League, um, and probably will have a good chance of uh, winning the Euros with France. I mean, it's not often a sort of a, a sort of maybe not a goal scoring midfielder, but a more sort of defensively minded box to box midfielder would win a Ballon d'Or. But do you think he is? Uh, up in that conversation and could he actually win it? Uh, he could do, yeah. I mean, Cesar Aspilicueta said afterwards, was asked a, a, a straight question, is he the best player in the world in his position? And he said, straightforward, yes. Or I think he, he said, actually, I think he said straightforward, no. But the question was, is there a better player in, yeah. the, <laughs> in his position? But, I mean, you know, it was interesting going around. The, I had a wander around Porto on, on Saturday afternoon there were t-shirts, you know, this, this joke, which started out as a joke and as a t-shirt. Um, they say 70% of the world is covered by water, the rest by N'Golo County. And he, in second half, he was he was a wrecking ball. He's fantastic. He 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 can pick the ball. He can, his, his sort of drive and his and his runs are unbelievable. Where you know mm. Claude Makélélé is a player you remember well. He was more Mascherano. They 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 kind of broke yeah. up play and they and they and they grabbed the ball back and then just gave it to somebody else. Makala, uh, Kante can do both. You know, he's 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 unbelievable. Unbelievable player. And, and, and to win it with Leicester, to win it with Chelsea, um, and then to win Champions League, like you say, Europa League, World Cup with France. It, I, I mean, Azpilicueta's right. There's, there's just not a better player in his position. So why not? I would, I would personally love to see it because he's such a, a lovely guy as well. And I always remember that uh, that famous Steve Walsh uh, quote when he was at Leicester when he said, uh, yes, we played a three-man midfield, Danny Drinkwater and N'Golo Kante either side, um, which, yeah. is, uh, <laughs> which is a great quote. Um, yeah, it we touched on it a minute ago with the, the Mountain Foden debate, but um, yeah, you t- said Chilwell had a uh, had a great game. He did. James had a great game. Mountain had a great game, and obviously, um, it, you know, we touched upon Foden not maybe having his best game, but um, but still being involved in the Champions League final. It does all bear quite well for England this summer, doesn't it? I mean, I don't really want to start getting hopes up too much because you know history would would suggest <laughs> otherwise. But um, but England can go into this with a, a very confident group of players and a very talented group of players don't they they can and another one that you probably would take from the Champions League final would be Kyle Walker which complicates mm. Gareth Southgate's right back choice <laughs> yes. um, which I think he's going to pare down this afternoon a little bit isn't he um, yeah it does my one concern for England would be that there has been it's, it's been a season like no other for 
in terms of um, uh, matches for for English sides for the top English sides who've all gone, you know, to United went to the Europa League, Arsenal got to the semi final, um, City Champions League, Chelsea Champions mm. League, both in the final, uh, and Liverpool have had a difficult season just by trying to put sticking plastic yeah. over the squad all, all the way through. That would be my one concern. I think they've got a great a great chance, um, but it's just I wonder whether other squads might be a little bit fresher. Yeah, I think that's probably uh, a lot of people's fear. And uh, I'm, I'm very interested to see what Southgate does at this right-back position because um, Cole Walker's had a good season. Uh, Rhys James has, has really, really stepped up, especially in the last few months. And Trent Alexander-Arnold is... An excellent player who um, is probably very unfortunate at the moment to, to have not been involved in the last squad and hopefully, personally, I'll definitely take him. Um, is there any indication yet in terms of system Southgate will play? Because I think that will potentially make up his mind for him because if, if, if England go with a back three, I think you have to take James because he can play as a centre-back as well as a, a, as a right winger, uh, right wing back. Carl Walker can do that too. I mean, yeah. if... if if, if if Southgate is going to go with that sort of system, then it kind of makes sense to take James and 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 uh, and Walker, and then probably still take Alexander Arnold because he's very flexible as well. Is it, has there been any indication from Southgate yet about what sort of he's planning for this year's sort of structure and system wise? I think we're going to get a bit of an indication this week, probably, aren't we? Um, up in Middlesbrough, um, it, it, I, I, I bet he wishes he had as much depth all over the pitch as he does at right back <laughs> yes. because you, you've got some of the some of the they're all they're all first names on the team sheet aren't they and you can't you can't fit them in and Alexander Arnold how can you not take him really um, yeah. but but would you pick him as a midfielder I'm not sure um, so somebody's going to miss out but I think we'll probably get an idea of how Southgate's going to approach this tournament tactically um, he'll want he want he wants all options leaving open, won't he? So, I mean, he wants to be able yeah. to change it if he can. Um, and yet, they've got to understand what sort of system. I mean, we get back to Guardiola switching things at the last minute. They've got to understand the system. So, mm. um, I'm not sure, but well, let's, let's, let's look to Middlesbrough for clues. Yes. Uh, just a side note, I mean, you've seen probably a lot more of Luke Shaw and I've seen a lot more than Chilwell. I mean... Who do you think's favourite for that left back role? Because Chilwell's had a very, very good season. He maybe had a little dip in the middle, whereas Shaw seems to have been very consistent for Man United as well this year. He has. He has been. He's been really good. He's been one of their players, standout players. Um, I, for me, I think Chilwell just shades it. Um, I don't know really why, because there's nothing that Luke Shaw's done uh, defensively that that makes you think that he's. Um, He's losing concentration, which was his, mm. which, which was his Achilles' heel before. Um, I just think, I just think that Chilwell looks looks a better player going forward, um, and probably just as strong defensively. But they're, they're two again, two strong, strong candidates. Yes, uh, we'll, we'll move on for England before we do start getting our hopes up, and, um, and then they're never to be crushed, I'm sure. But uh, let's see what happens. Um, let's go back just to Chelsea and Man City. I mean. From from my perspective, with Thomas Tuchel now, I think is a bit. It's, it was a bit of a cliche sort of response, but he said, you know, we have to forget about this next week and go again next season. And I think there's going to be a real hope, or there is already a real hope among the Chelsea fan base that Chelsea can challenge for the Premier League title um, next season. It's been probably too long, uh, and a lot of Chelsea fans were not happy 
uh, with uh, the sort of idea of finishing fourth being all important. There was a lot of we are not Arsenal. We are we are better than that uh, among the Chelsea supporters. So I think there is going to be that demand for a, a title challenge um, next season. And I think Chelsea can do it, especially if they get the sort of players they want. There are obviously we touched upon, you know, they do want to bring in another striker, one of sort of Lukaku and or Kane and. They want to try and get Declan Rice, which is going to cost a lot of money. Uh, but Chelsea have that uh, if they need it. And um, there's also, I think, so there's reports that, you know, Adama Traore might be targeted just to bring in a bit more cover in sort of right wing back or, or further forward. So Chelsea are going to strengthen and and they've got probably every chance. It'll be my, 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 my one, one interesting thing I'm very intrigued to see is if uh, Tuchel keeps the same shape next year because um, there have been some noises out of Chelsea and sort of from his sort of side that, he may alter the system to, to sort of go to a back four. But um, given the success Chelsea have had, uh, it'll be interesting to see if he goes with that. Um, for Man City, there's obviously quite going to be quite a lot of disappointment at the moment. Um, and I was speaking to quite a few of the City fans yesterday um, at, uh, sorry, at, um, at the airport. And I was sort of saying to them, you know, it's these disappointments really in a Champions League that make that moment that you do win it. And I do think City will win it at some point. Uh, make that moment even greater. Can Man City bounce back uh, from this straight away and go on to win the Champions League next season? Or do you think there's probably a little bit more work that has to be done on that side of it? Uh, uh, I think there's there's no doubt they could do. Um, if, if lessons are learned from this, but the, the, um, they need a, they probably need a striker, I think. I mean, it's... Um, it's interesting that, that when Haaland was clearly hawked round by Raiola um, mm. in Spain and Italy and, and England, that everyone sort of said, no, we're not paying a hundred and odd million for him. Um, everyone's prepared to wait for, to, for this release clause next season, next summer, sorry, yeah. um, uh, 67 million. But I just wonder whether somebody might break ranks with Haaland this, this summer, uh, steal a march on everybody um, by just dipping in and paying 130 million or something <laughs> um certainly city with a striker i think could could carry all before them next next season and you know with a with a, a an aguero um version maybe circa 2016 <laughs> 17 i think they might have won it this season so i think a striker's key um everyone's in market for one um and the best ones Particularly, so yeah, I, I could see I could see City bouncing back from this, and and I totally accept your point on the City fans' point at the airport, saying that, that it would mean so much more. I mean, you can imagine a, a full stadium next year, um, having gone so close this time in in a in front of sixteen thousand fans mm-hmm. or whatever it was, would make it all the sweeter. And I could I could see it happening, yeah. Yeah, and yeah, you know, from a uh, Chelsea supporters' perspective, I mean, you you look back at Munich, you look back at the the, the Bravo game at Barcelona, all those built up to make twenty twelve that that little bit more special for for everybody. And are City gonna? I mean, City need to sign a striker this summer. If it's not Haaland, does it have to be somebody else with Aguero going and, and Gabriel Jesus perhaps not living up to the potential he showed in those sort of first few months at City? Whenever everyone thought he was going to be the solution, do they need to sign a striker? Sort of not no matter who it is, but um, but is that their sort of prime transfer deal to be done? I think I think so, but there's also the element of of you need to sign people to keep them away from other teams. Um, if if they, I mean, I, th- I think Harry Kane would be brilliant at City. He'd, he'd fit into that system perfectly, and he'd provide you goals. 
if City don't move for Haaland or Kane or um, it, it, somebody else will, and therefore I think City, it wouldn't surprise me if, if Guardiola is so stubborn that he continues to play with false <laughs> nines, but and and he would point to the Premier League title this year and say, well, we absolutely ramped that. But I think it was a strange season in lots of ways with Liverpool's defence so poor, uh, defence of their title so poor, um, and a lot of other teams in in sort of various stages of transition, including Chelsea and, and to an extent Man United. Um, so he he might say, well, we don't need one, but I think I think they do, and I think they will move for one this year. Uh, it'll be very interesting to to see what happens. And I mean, I think uh, there's a, a sort of an outside chance that, um, especially given some quotes he gave last night about being open-minded about his future, Robert Lewandowski could be a, a very interesting name that gets cropped up this summer because obviously he's worked with Guardiola before at Bayern as well. And that could be a, a stopgap at least for a couple of years if uh, mm-hmm. if City do want to go down that route. So um, I know Chelsea have, have sort of been tentatively linked with him as well. So uh that would be very interesting if Robert Lewandowski was to arrive uh, in search of a new challenge. But um, we will see what happens with that. It is going to be a very big summer, as it always is. It's going to be very busy. We'll, I'm sure, be very busy uh, trying to keep up with all the news. But, um, but yeah, thank you very much for joining us, for, for looking back over the Champions League, uh, the Champions League final. Uh, we'll be back on Thursday with a full Football Digest episode. But um, until then, thank you very much for listening and uh, take care, everybody, and stay safe.